Creative Connectors, a podcast for curious minds. My name's Vicky Keeler, and I'll be chatting to the makers and creators who aim to connect and inspire through the platform of festivals. We'll be delving into how they show up in the world, why they do what they do, their journey, inspiration, and everything in between. So sit back and enjoy the chat, because who knows where these conversations are going to go. And if this is your kind of podcast, please subscribe, follow, share with friends, and get involved and give some feedback. In today's episode, I'm going to be speaking to Callan Morgan. He is the founder and director of Pelican Studios. So thanks for coming on and having a chat. Thanks, Vicky. Maybe we could kick off with you explaining a little bit about what you do and how your work has taken you into the festival realm, because I know you do a number of different things. Uh, Yeah, so I work predominantly in large-scale sculptures. Uh, My main medium is steel, um, but I do work in sort of lighting um, and... I guess also kinetics, so things that mm-hmm. move, uh, so uh, robotics through to wind. And yeah, so I, my background is actually in circus. And so I was a circus performer and then also, uh, but I had a company that engineered juggling and circus equipment. So through yes. that, I learned a lot about uh, manufacturing, um, but also a lot of skills through, you know, welding, machining, uh, tool making, injection molding, uh, and then decided that I wanted to move into uh, more into sculpture. So I've been painting, um, a graffiti artist, and I've been doing that from a young age, um, but then wanted to move more into sculpture and I guess apply the skill set that I had through the circus equipment side uh, to sculptures. The circus world, very different world to like tech and I mean it's part of the arts but different to sculpture world. What kind of introduced you to sculptures because even graffiti is quite different. Was there a key influence, key moment, key event or experience that you had that kind of opened your mind to sculptures and wanting to go in that route? Well, I think Burning Man probably played a big part in it. Mm -hmm. So I went to my first burn in 2004 and then went back in 2006. And so that was definitely... I mean, it's a bit of a mecca for large-scale yeah. public art. And so that was in, branded on me quite young and then uh, went back there in 2011 and was sort of looking more towards moving into that sort of realm um, mm-hmm. and then uh, met an artist who I whose art I admired for a long time and has been, his name's uh, Michael Christian and he's been building large scale stuff at Burning Man for almost since the start of Burning Man. And so we actually met at the Cairns Eclipse Festival and then uh, became friends and he, Michael started flying me over to work in his workshop in Berkeley and started to uh, to work on his pieces for Burning Man. So I guess I sort of learnt through that about how 
the trials and tribulations of trying to create mm. something big and something that's beyond your own physical capacity. So. Yeah, right. And was that like a mentorship type role or were you kind of going over there and working with a team? Like, did he already have a team of people? Uh, yeah. Uh, he, I mean, there's sort of Berkeley and Oakland, there's a lot of big, there's a place called American Steel and a huge amount of stuff for Benjamin gets built there. So that is a, a bit of a hub or a haven for those sorts of projects. Um, so he already had a, a sort of team and then brought me in to sort of help uh, push the projects over the line. Yeah, nice. And so then in doing that was potentially living in the US something that was on your mind or were you quite firm on wanting to just bring those skills back to Australia and you know, bring the learnings and what you've done and, and try and create large-scale creations for festivals here? With, like, had you found at the same time there were people doing that, just not on the same scale as him? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's, it's, it's quite interesting to see the impact that sort of Burning Man has had over that course of time. And, and I guess it is a, a, a platform you know, it's a clean slate to build large-scale things. And mm. even if you are self-funding it, it gives you an avenue to exhibit it in a way, you know, yeah. and to set it up. And so because of that, it, it's sort of, you know, now it's got a lot of history behind it. You know, obviously these companies are being formed and lots of artists in that sort of area. Uh, so I, to answer your question, I went there in 2013 and I was – looking to see if I wanted to move there. Mm -hmm. um, I sort of didn't really have any ties here. I knew that I was getting over doing the juggling equipment. Like all the, I mean, I was mainly doing a lot of aerial stuff for circus and that too, but it wasn't fully, um, it wasn't enough meaning in it for me at mm -hmm. that point. And I also wanted to branch out. So I went over there with that idea of could I move here? Um, and I was over there a lot, but... You know, I think I sort of weighed it up and went, you know, a couple of factors like one, I'm trying to move into a new area and is that going to be, if I try and do that, like move my creative talents into a new area and I'm going to try and do that into in a new city mm. as well. Um, you know, and then also I really like Melbourne and I could see all these good benefits of being based in Melbourne. So I went around and looked at all these creative spaces and studied the model of how they were run. Like, is it a cooperative? Is it a collective? Is it a single person? And work, tried to work out what I wanted to set up when I came back to Melbourne. So knowing that I needed a space big enough to build large-scale things in but also wanted to create a creative space that really just to lure all my friends in and to work out of, you know, just around <laughs> oh, myself. That's the dream, right? Yeah. Have all your mates together. Let's just be creative. Let's have yeah. a big space where we can all yeah. do what we want. And so that kind of model, I mean, I, I thought about it and, you know, I've run a business from a young age, so I kind of knew how to do all that. And mm -hmm. so, and I so realized if I set the the space up 
as a collective, like the actual running of it, it was going to slow me down. So I sort of took it on. That's when I founded, yeah, in 2013, a 700 square meter warehouse in Coburg. And then I um, hit the ground running and set about setting it up as a space that I wanted to work out of and also that I thought others would too. So. And so for anyone listening, do you want to provide a bit of context around what Pelican Studios is, what it encompasses? Um, obviously, it started off with that dream and then being like, I've kind of got a vision of what I want to create, but how yeah. do things look there at the moment for you? Well, they look, I mean, the setup is great because I've sort of honed it over the course of nine years. And I think given everything in a city um, warehouse-based and, you know, did I say gentrification? Like, <laughs> you know, the old chestnut creators move into an area. Mm. They sort of define an area, set up a vibe. Then everyone goes, I want a piece of that. So then they buy the warehouses and they push all the creators out. So um, based on that sheer fact that that happens, um, uh, my sort of model is you you sort of build within it, but everything's designed to be moved. So mm-hmm. um, all the studios, the petition walls all come apart. Everything is, you know, comes off shipping containers or in pallet racking. Everything can be forklift. Um, so the space I was in, I had a two-year lease and I was like, if I get more than that, I'm happy. And so now it's just been sold. Um, and so we're looking to relocate that space uh pelican studios into another warehouse in brunswick that is earmarked for development um that we might get three years out of um and also we need more space yeah and so is everybody who's at pelican are they all large installation artists similar to yourself are they people that you collaborate with or is it just different individuals within the kind of arts realm and they're using that as a hub and a workshop space yeah so it it varies um i mean i sort of i'm definitely producing the biggest stuff there and uh but then we have a range of artists and designers so interior designers um a ceramicist a, a painter a uh like a fashion slash upholster, um, as in another sculptor, uh, an event coordinator. So they it does vary in the size of their spaces that they need for that. Mm-hmm. Is very one thing that you know I think when I was laying the space out that I was quite sort of uh, you know not enforced but set up was that everyone you can actually everyone has their own space but there's no doors so that oh yeah um and that kind of in a way like a big passion of mine is collaboration Mm -hmm. and also interactivity and so people can you know see what each other's doing it's not like we pry or anything like (laughs) that um but it just also helps because other people when you know they might have client come around or someone and then they go oh i need a so-and-so you know Mm -hmm. like a you know and it just opens that door and that conversation and that dialogue yeah (laughs) because there is no doors the doors always open so um 
So yeah, that's a, an important thing. Like one thing that I didn't want to do. I mean, mm. some creative spaces you go into and you actually would have no idea what goes on in there because you can't see anything. You yeah, know? yeah. And vice versa, the people don't interact with each other. So mm. when it comes to kind of your pieces of work that you create, do you? often think about collaborations is it often you who's driving those pieces how does that kind of work or has it changed over time uh yeah I think I mean I sort of I work sometimes on other people's projects Mm -hmm. um like I've just finishing a series of collaborative projects where uh, I've come in and I'm I'm doing like a key aspect of that project, but I'm not the lead artist on it. Um, but then, yeah, I also do a lot of my own sort of projects that then I bring in other people to help me sort of realize that vision. Yeah, nice. And obviously circus, like I mentioned earlier, very different to tech and innovation and welding and those sorts of things. Where did your kind of love for tech come from? Was that again driven by Burning Man and just seeing people innovate and you're just a curious person or are there certain aspects or fields that you want to use art to communicate within? Yeah, I think it's been a a progressive thing. Like I'm not, I mean, I, I feel like I'm into tech, but... I feel in the scammy things, I'm not heavily into it comparative <laughs> to how hard down that rabbit hole you could go, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it is, I don't know if you'd call it a rabbit hole or a tech <laughs> hole or something like that. There's a, there's a level when it's just getting deeper, you know, like, yeah. like that spectrum. Um, I, I sort of, I guess, interested from the tech is from an interactivity point of view. So mm-hmm. I started building things uh, for a video game company and uh, some uh, one piece was an interactive um, a dome that was projection mapped from the inside and then it had this turret of connect cameras or depth cameras at the top and then people would walk up and they'd see an avatar of themselves in the dome and then that um, and then they could basically a group of people could all make music together and so we devised this piece and took it to the game developers conference in San Fran and um yeah so I guess I sort of see it as a way to sort of resonate with with people in the audience Mm -hmm. um but also as a way to sort of key in I guess functional art as well so yeah uh, it's always an ever-evolving thing and, and Yuki, which is the big robotic insect vehicle that we produced, um, which we took to Burning Man in 2017 when mm-hmm. we received the grant from Burning Man. Um, yeah, that was a really deep dive into into tech, into robotics, into um, interactivity. So, Has your art often been linked with music or did festivals just feel like a natural place for you to showcase work because they were part of the journey initially by being inspired by Burning Man? I think festivals are a good platform 
because they're less inhibited by mm. the public space and what you can do there. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a good, um, like, testing ground, you know, to sort of to trial stuff out and to, you know, see how it flies sort of thing. And did you find it quite easy within whether it's the US landscape or the Australian landscape to get your pieces to festivals and showcased at festivals? Like, did you already have something created and then you'd pitch it? Or have you ever gone with customized designs to festivals to try and say, hey, I would like to build this for your festival? Um, trying to think. Well, in the in the case of Burning Man, uh, Yuki was already built, and then we applied through their grant process and received an honorary grant to ship it over, which was, I guess, significant in the sense that, you know, it's essentially a mutant vehicle, and they don't necessarily they don't fund mutant vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, so for them to realise that this is something different it's a, it's the next level um that was quite uh you know humbling in a sense an achievement an achievement <laughs> nonetheless um and so that was and then we also did the oregon eclipse mm-hmm. before that uh so yeah previously um i haven't really yeah really applied to festivals usually i've been approached Mm-hmm. Um, to always a good position to be yeah, <laughs> to uh, to do things like um, I mean I've done the main stage at sort of Rainbow uh, before in 2017 as well that was at the start of that it was a big year uh, and and yeah so it was more like sort of getting approached by the organisers and them saying hey what would you do in this situation or da 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 you know so um, yeah, but sometimes, yeah, you, you do apply, um, especially for grant funding and mm. things like that to do, you know, it might be an interim step for a bigger project. So it's like, let's do a proof of concept. Um, and festivals are a good sort of platform, you know, both, um, sort of regional festivals, but also the city festivals like, uh, you know, a white night or yeah. something like this. Yeah. Yeah, nice. And have you found a lot of your work has now moved into more of that public space versus festivals? Uh, yeah, so mainly my work is now like permanent um, installs or uh, sort of more gallery-based things. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And to give people a bit of a context, do you want to talk about maybe some of the projects that you've been working on of recent? Uh, yeah, so I just finished a project called Anthropom- Anthropomorphic Machine. <laughs> Bit <laughs> so, of a mouthful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. And, uh, so we, uh, and it was working with the artist Stellark, who is it's kind of like the father of futurism in Australia, mm. I'd say, and, uh, and also the Melbourne School of Design and the science gallery melbourne which is a new uh, massive space three and a half thousand square meter space uh in a new building at the corner of swanston and grattan in melbourne and um yeah so anthropomorphic machine is an eight meter high ten meter wide 
kinetic sculpture, uh, and it has a, a tensegrity canopy. So it's um, not to get too tech, but it's a basically <laughs> an undulating uh, geometric structure that is all connected together with shock cord and is um, activated or moved uh, by uh, pneumatic like air muscles. So they are like giant... Air muscles? Yeah. So they're like giant puppeteers. Yeah, right. And so, uh, yeah, and people can walk around and they can do gestures and it activates different sequences and um, the piece kind of reacts to their movements. You've mentioned collaboration and obviously quite immersive works. Is that something that's like pivotal to your pieces you would say is there a certain yeah elements that you always want to have a part of your work like I do a lot of different things so I wouldn't say that there's some key elements to it you know I obviously try and chase meaning with everything that I do um, and that kind of is a stipulation for what I take on mm. um, so if it doesn't sort of resonate with me, then I, um, you know, will happily just find someone else that it does. I'll put them in contact, you know. Uh, But I think, yeah, sometimes I do, like I just finished doing a sculpture for this town called Rochester and it went out the front of the hospital and it was a kingfisher um, bird in a, like a stainless steel kingfisher in a six metre high stainless steel tree. And so we, it was, that was actually a really nice piece to do. I mean, the kingfisher is native to the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a, it was nice to do a, a static um, sculpture uh, just to work on the form. And, but I also like sort of public art, I guess, more versus galleries in a sense um, that, it, it sort of everyone can sort of enjoy it yeah. um, or versus trying to do things for private collections as well but there is a a sort of a nice element also working at that smaller scale which is for personally more um, it also has a lot of meaning to it as well and it's more intimate for myself mm. to create you know sometimes creating big is it is a lot of moving parts, sometimes moving, but a lot of... Also thing, more people, I'm guessing. People, well yeah, you, and yeah. there's a process of um, engineering and, you know, there's lots of sort of parameters, little things that have to be factored in when you're talking that scale. When thinking about your journey, you know, whether it's from circus days, then creating large-scale art for festivals, now in the public space... What have been some of the challenges that you've faced along the way or maybe even things that you've kind of learned about yourself that have maybe surprised you? I'm sure there's a lot. (laughs) That's why my mind is just racing. I'm just going, wow, where to start? I mean, yeah, like I think the thing that surprises you is how resilient you can be Mm -hmm. and... um, when the ass totally falls out of something, you know, <laughs> and and you just but keep it together. With yeah, <laughs> yeah. Try to work your way through it, mm. and also knowing that 
you know, you, you sort of, it's essentially problem solving and you're just breaking it down and redirecting it. But also I think sometimes it's that accepting that it is just a, a work in progress mm. and that sometimes that's a good thing and you can, you know, like try not to stipulate everything from the start and let something breathe and you of course you need to draw a few lines in the sand and you sort of have your your north star that you're gunning for but you know you've got to just let it evolve and also um you know and then there's the trials and tribulations that are involved in that and sometimes a misfortune can turn into a fortune Mm. yeah exactly well where there's failure there's always growth and yeah. learnings and you know I'm sure with every project like we were kind of talking about just before we started recording it's yeah you're always learning something when you're on one project and thinking about how that can then apply to the next project right to make it better bigger more effective more efficient whatever it might be yeah. so I guess it's it's always kind of evolving and challenges always help you to grow that's how I see it anyway yeah yeah and I think I mean, if I was ever going to get a tattoo that had words, it would be hindsight's a bitch. Because <laughs> <laughs> but it's hard not to, you know, especially when you're rinsed from something to mm. look back on it negatively, but like with negative, but if you look at it and you break it down and you learn from that, you know, you probably make a similar mistake, but you might not make the same mistake again, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think it's, and what, what you take home from that is really important, you know? Mm, definitely. And, um, yeah. And I mean, for me, I'm always, you know, grabbing that carrot and throwing it that little bit further. <laughs> and pushing the boundaries. Yeah. And pushing bit. that envelope. So um, there's always an element of, am I going to pull this off? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, is this, is this actually, you know... Or am I just delusional right now? Well, or it's a, there's, it's you a know, lot of but, truth in the fake it till you make it. There's always an element of that. I think yeah. in no, in like no matter what the job is, you, there's always going to be some point where you hit a cusp and you go, "I've never done this before. I've got this vision. I don't know if I can pull it off, but I'm at least going to have a crack at it." Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's. Um, and there's been also pragmatic about that too mm. and going, all right, this is the full vision. If I get 80% there, is anyone going to know, you know, like except me and my team, yeah. you know, and then that's the thing to work on. And or if it, if it's just so cut and dry, it's like, yeah, that's clearly missed the mark, you know, like... <laughs> So you kind of, and then obviously as the it gets the crunch time, you start trying to factor these elements in and going, okay, what's critical here? Like, what do we really need to nail, you know? Um, so I think, it's, you know, there is all these things that you're just sort of trying to, you know, calculate on the fly, you know? Yeah. And, um, and, and yeah, but I think what does pull you through is that feeling that, you know, you have at the start, you know, and that's even as kind of demented as it might be like the idea like you know i mean not, i mean it's just 
like even in, as crazy as that might seem, you, that feeling is plausible. It's like actually, yeah, I've just run this little equation in my head, you know, and and I think that stacks up. Like I think we could actually do this, you know, and you you can only really base that on your, you know, your prior experiences mm. to go in the time frame, in my skill capacity, you know, uh, and then and then you just times that by two because <laughs> if you get what I mean <laughs> so obviously plenty of learnings um, and I'm sure a few kind of road bumps and challenges along the way what have been some of the highlights of your career to date and some of the your favourite creations if you can have a favourite creation as an artist <laughs> um, well I think Yuki's been amazing and because it was the first major collaborative project that I've done. And a, a big part of, you know, setting up Pelican Studios was having a space big enough to build that that particular project in the robotic insect. And it was amazing watching it take on a life of its own and because it's been to a lot of festivals now and a lot of people, like, have enjoyed it and, you know, the amazing... Sort of parties that we've thrown down with it as well, but um, I think watching the the friendships that were formed, like I was bringing all these different people that I'd worked with over the years, but they'd never met together, and now watching them, those friendships form between those people. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think that's been a main project that you know, and was on a super steep sort of learning curve. Um, and was able to apply. It sort of, I guess, showcased my skill set and also uh, others in Melbourne, but also the power of collaboration and, you know, yeah. what, what when you pull passions together at that level. So it sort of sits on that cusp of, I guess, art and engineering and innovation. And mm. so we do things with universities and... Um, you know, Melbourne Knowledge Week and, and things like that. And that's a good uh, catalyst for conversation. So Yeah, well, it's so unique. Yeah. You sort of forget because it's parked <laughs> in your warehouse and then you put it on the trailer and you drive down the road and, and everyone's rubbernecking and winding down the windows trying to talk to you and you're like, oh, yeah, that's that thing. And, it's, yeah. and for context, it's a giant bee or wasp. Is it wasp? Uh, Ah, uh, yeah, it's kind of based off, loosely based off a B, yeah. 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 And people can also DJ off it because it's fully rigged up with decks. <laughs> yeah, we worked with um, Yamaha Commercial Audio and so they were great. So we sort of spec'd a high-end sound system that's built into it so you, you can't really see it but mm. you can definitely hear it when it's going. So. Yeah, nice. So are there any dream gigs and things that you have always wanted to do and haven't yet done? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always say put them out to the universe, put it out there, maybe it'll happen. Once it's voiced out loud, it's more likely to manifest. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I would like to do Dark Mofo. Mm. Like something in Dark Mofo would be great. Um that's definitely on my sort of bucket list. I mean, going back to Burning Man with um, this new sort of project that I'm working on, uh, 
uh, which is a uh, called Mira, which is a, a giant uh, robotic or kinetic solar flower that moves mm-hmm. and articulates with the sun. That we want to sort of build a series of them and put them permanently all around the world. Uh, so that would be great to to basically realize that vision and to possibly take one to Burning Man. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And so with creations like that. I mean, you say it so casually and you've kind of like shown the drawings to me and I'm like, this is not a like casual, easy project. (laughs) It's like a huge thing that you're taking on. Where do you look to for inspiration? How do you start an idea? Where does it begin? Well, that the actual concept for that came about because Yugi being a full electric vehicle, we... We're like, well, we need to charge, have some sort of way. Yeah. <laughs> so we need to charge the bee. And the, so the logical progression was to build a giant flower to charge the bee. So um, so I guess that's how that idea spawned. But also the, the idea of, you know, a, a big passion is, you know, biomimicry in nature and mm-hmm. us, you know, learning and studying nature and using technology not as a savior but as an enabler so the idea is how do we um, learn from nature but also in terms of placemaking how do we sort of educate and share knowledge around that you know and so that's a big part of you know putting these things in in urban spaces mm. and then having you know people can access um, renewable power through you know these sort of outdoor workstations and seating and free Wi-Fi and then we'll host a series of talks there and so the idea and it just kind of rolled on from there. I mean to give you an idea, it was of timeline. I think it was two thousand and eighteen that. The idea was first kind of conceived um, and it definitely got shelled along that way but it's something that we've sort of been chipping away at and last year we won the City Melbourne Open Innovation Competition with the concept and I guess on the back of that we got the support of the Melbourne Museum to put it out the front of uh, the Melbourne Museum in between the Melbourne Museum and the Royal Exhibition Buildings. Um, for three months and then the idea is that we'll tour after that so I think it it's definitely like Yuki it's grown in size yeah um Yuki was originally just going to be a pedal powered thing now it's <laughs> uh to give the listeners an idea it's six and a half meters long and when the wings go up it's four and a half meters high and the legs go out it's um it's got about a leg span of four and a half meters or something so it's quite big so mm. and mirror will be I think right now it's when its pedals are up it's about 12 meters tall so um so there's a lot of sort of processes that you have to think about you know one how it's going to act and function but also the engineering involved and so i think for me i don't necessarily you know i know my skill set and my capabilities but I am, you know, I think bringing in people that have done similar things, like not 
saying they're like robotic solar flower specialists. You know? <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is anyone? <laughs> I'm not sure. And if they are, is. then I think we should maybe do something else, you know. But um, I think it's more, you know, engineers that have built large scale things that move, um, you know, or that different companies that specialize in solar company, you know, we've got a company on board, they build um, uh, radio towers that go like huge, 150 meter high towers that go on wind farms mm. so that capture all the meteorological data and they've got remote power access and so they're obviously super experienced in dealing in high winds and and standalone systems and things like that too so um i guess trying to get industry partners and having them on board is a good um barometer if you're actually on the right track and you know what you're doing like or yeah. you, you you know portraying you know what you're doing because <laughs> like, so, because they obviously for them to kind of want to get involved and and also it, it sort of validates the the idea you know yeah as well so well, it must be quite a wild thing for some like shall we say corporations like more public space or organizations some of the concepts that you pitch must be just quite mind-blowing to them given what they normally might deal with. Do you find the reception is excitement immediately or is there a lot of kind of, well, what is the purpose in this? Do you find people are excited by art and wanting to be a part of these type of projects more and more now? Uh, Yeah, I think... You know, it's, you know, the, the in-kind support through, um, you know, small to medium enterprises, I guess, has been great. And so that's services and sometimes or reduced costs on parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that sort of public level, you know, we're still trying to generate the funding side of it. So people want to be involved and they want to put their name to it but are they going to fund it you know like that's sort of always a tricky a tricky one um because mm. you know we are slightly risk averse as a nation and so they always once it's successful it's like yeah we, we did that it. yeah <laughs> oh, now we will buy it you know and it's like wait on so but also what we also fully aware of what we're proposing is is sort of unique mm. and somewhat out there often um and sits on that cusp of innovation but that's kind of what innovation is about yeah. um so having previous projects of similar caliber or it creates a natural progressive thing to to sort of where we are now so you know and mm. that's why with these mirror like in the solar flowers it feels like it's bringing a lot of these different elements together into one project and i think Mm. also it sort of really resonates with you know cultural meaning and community and also um some key aspects that we need to be addressing right now i.e you know uh sustainability circular economies and also i guess inspiring uh and empowering young minds you know so Mm, yeah definitely 
And do you find is education and like inspiring younger people through art, is that something that's very kind of like true to you and I guess resonates strongly with you and kind of what you want to make sure your work is playing a role in for the future? Yeah, I think it's, it, is it a big part of what I'm about? You know, like I think it's, uh, you know, I mean, I love arts for art's sake and arguably, you know, you can derive meaning from anything, from anything you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, but I think that sort of functional art, it also that sits on that cusp, you know, of manufacturing and sort of engineering there's a lot of um room for growth with that and and sort of traction you know and and so it what it does is it opens up you know because and also it, it there's complexity to it that and problem solving and it sort of it allows you know all these relationships to be founded but also i think it's a good way for young people to also see when they become involved in projects like this that doesn't really matter what level you're at everyone's just making it up as they go along <laughs> you know, it's, like... it's a good thing to remind people you know because yeah. that's applicable i'd say in most industries it's yeah well it's area it doesn't matter it's you know and you yeah but it's also seen how you work through the problems and mm. how you collectively feel your way through the problems because that's a big part of it too is that sort of intuitively, you know, working as a collective, you know, yeah. and feeling and, yeah. If you had, like, one key piece of advice, if you can even put it into one key piece of advice, for someone who, I guess no matter what age really, was thinking about going into the art space what would be your kind of key piece of advice from, I guess, maybe it's even a piece of advice that you wish you'd been given at some point, but yeah, is there any kind of key takeaway that you would want to remind somebody about if they were thinking about going into this space? I think, yeah, one thing is to try and... uh, I want to say stick to your lane, but like it doesn't mean that you have to do one thing and just keep on doing that one thing. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to get distracted and also disheartened because, you know, people, you know, now everything's quantifiable so some people gauge whether someone's successful artist is by how much money they made or now it's by how many followers they have on instagram you know and it's like so there's all these metrics attached to what we think is successful you know Mm. and um and also we want to believe that those people that well, you know, people that are, we would say, are successful artists, you know, um, don't have to work through suffering anymore, you know. And I, I think that's the life of an artist, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> I think it's the life of everyone. Everyone has yeah, suffering true. and it's how you express your suffering and work through it, you know. So, um, so yeah, I think that 
like it's it's just I think just show up you know and mm. just keep on creating and it's hard you know obviously once you if you make that decision to make an income from it and that's your livelihood is from your art because all of a sudden you sort of questioning whether you're compromising to to the common denominator you know mm-hmm. what I mean like that I know that will sell and that things too you know and there's I think there's nothing wrong with doing that you know so I know a lot of people my friends work a job that you know it's not crap but it's not the be all and end all but it means that they can just purely create the art that they want to create yeah but then you've got to be really dedicated to your art on top of that you know mm. um and others just create the art that they really want to create and you know some of them you know go all right well i'm just this is a cash cow gig you know and i'm just going to do this but it means that i can you know and i mean there's plenty of amazing musicians that write jingles for ads yeah, you know, I'm sure. And and but then that that means that they can their obscure jazz band can do its thing and they don't have doesn't matter if only three people come and watch them sort of thing you know so. Yeah, I guess it's that balance, isn't it? I was talking to somebody even yesterday about that. You know, you can have a job that pays the bills, and then you can have the freedom to do what you love, or then you can try and combine your passion with what you love and just solely do that, but doesn't necessarily mean that's always accessible for everybody mm. sadly yeah it's it's interesting i think i heard this thing that i don't know if it's still the case maybe COVID changed that but that i think artists it's the industry with the high suicide rate or something and oh wow yeah it was a really interesting shocking like it pipped dentists and doctors off their post and i was like wow it's like that was surprising in the sense that i mean something that's meant to be filled with a lot of passion Mm, (laughs) yeah true yeah interesting like how did you find COVID actually did you find it gave you a lot of time to put into projects and work on things in a with a different lens have you felt any different about your creation since COVID like what did it mean for you because it's kind of been different for lots of people within the industry and within the arts obviously even from what you've read i was um i was actually quite i'd say fortunate but i sort of uh in the sense that i was already doing some work for the architect nanda katsalides um who did he uh, did mona down in tassie and uh so i was working with him and his son lucas developing a uh, like a modular building system so I guess that's kind of with that's my fallback mm-hmm. in between lulls in commissions and things is that I can sort of flip between engineering and art so um, and can do projects where I'm like okay cool I'll take on this job and it's a quick turnaround well paid thing um, and then while I'm developing these other projects you know and and it's hard because sometimes it, it all overlaps and your yeah. heads are going to pop because you're trying, <laughs> you know. Um, but so during, coming back to your question, during COVID, I was working with them, already doing three days, two or three days a week with them developing this system. Um, and then the rest of the time, yeah, I kind of, my mind doesn't stop having <laughs> ideas. like, And sometimes I get to capacity, so I try and document it. But at the same time, I also 
pick my battles in a sense mm. that I will sort of go, all right, this is kind of, yeah, like my North Star and I'm heading towards that. So I uh, kept on working on Mira and then, um, and then, but also had all these, I had some commissions as well so that I sort of was doing, had to do a lot of design work for those too. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, you kind of mentioned earlier, obviously you had the circus business first and seemingly were quite well versed in running a business, which I feel like is often the opposite for artists in that they sit in this creative space and they have a passion and they want to create, but they don't necessarily often have that, like say business knowledge or business acumen. Whereas you're almost like the flip of that. You've, I guess, had the benefits of both. So you didn't really have as much challenge, shall we say, around how to navigate business, having that lens already? Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, my company just turned 20, so it's a long time to be running a business. And so it's sort of second nature to me. I mean, it's still a very small business, but I think it's interesting the way I work, like I have, I mean, a lot of artists fear structure, mm. but sometimes if you just put a few fundamentals in place, it gives you more freedom to do the um, artistic stuff, you know. Uh, I wouldn't say creativity because I think, to me, creativity is problem solving. And yeah. you can do that. I agree. You know, and it's just applying, feeling, well, yeah, acting on, like, feeling with a thought you know sort of thing and that's so that's what creativity to me is but I think and I'm kind of interested to look at that model like of you know because some people can't collaborate you know Mm. and um and it's like well why is that you know and it's also there's a lot of huge amount of trust involved in that too um and also about defining it and knowing how you work and also accepting how others work and then putting a framework in place so you can all work around that, you know. And mm-hmm. I think that on that sort of collaborative model, it's like sort of having been down that road a few times, it's like what works and it's really hard if, I mean, usually one or two people with the vision, usually it's one and then and then um everyone comes in and sort of owns their part and is empowered to do what they do. But at the end of the day, there's someone sort of steering it, you know? Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I think with coming back to that sort of scales back into the business sense too, in a way, and just setting things up. So it's, it's easier, like whatever that, I mean, for me, it was like whatever, job what aspect of what i'm doing do i not like you know Mm. (laughs) and so i'd be like all right well is it accounting okay how do we streamline this or how do we and maybe you have to do it at the start and then you can bring someone in to do that part for you but you kind of need to set it up first so that it's it's the way you you want it and then the show can go on sort of thing yeah and you've had a lot of collaboration um in terms of Make a mob, make mob, yeah, yeah, make mob. Um, do you want to maybe, yeah, talk a bit about your journey with that, what it is, what you've learned in that process as well? 
Yeah, so MakeMob is essentially a, a network of like-minded individuals and uh, industry like companies uh, that is fed through a project management platform. Uh, so it, it's still, I guess, in its infant stages in the sense that, um, like, you know, in order to develop the project platform, like I was, had it set up as a not-for-profit company and, and then we were going to do like a whole, you know, this sort of auspicing of grants and um, mentorships and all this stuff too. But it, it's the whole thing in itself and we've mapped it all out um, and it just requires funding, you know, mm-hmm. so it's um, and, and sort of stakeholders, primary stakeholders to come in and sort of to, to really realise it. Um, but it is still a, a tight network of, of makers really and, and passionate people and the underlying the values and the principles is the types of projects that it, it takes on has to uh, benefit the community and the environment or and all the environment. So um, it's very socially focused mm. sort of the setup. And I mean, there's a lot of power in that and also the, also the the thing with collaboration is individually you might have clout in a sense um yeah. but collectively you don't and so it's hard to get a look in for these bigger projects um whereas if it's sort of under it's still your project but if it comes in under a proven model and this umbrella the make mob umbrella that already has all these you know sort of successful projects off the ground then then you sort of got more of a chance to Mm. sort of um you can pull on all that knowledge and all those resources with that in that respect is kind of going for grants and funding is that's been quite a learning journey for you because i imagine it would be quite a different process especially in the public space compared to when you may be doing a festival could be wrong (laughs) i imagine the the public kind of space has a lot more hoops to jump through um how did you find like navigating that uh i mean i haven't had a lot of success with grants um it's mainly been say for instance with yuki i i funded the build of that and that's kind of how the make mob model was spawned was because um, I could afford the build cost, which mm-hmm. was still, you know, it was like $85,000 or something. But then, um, but then the actual, uh, the labor time. So everyone that worked on it logged their hours and their hours equates to a percentage ownership in the project. Yeah. Nice. And once it was built, then we would, we would receive grants, um, uh, you know, it's from like with the white knights and then we through doing events and things like that. Um, and then that went towards paying off the build. It was mm. making profit and then COVID kicked in and now it's, it hasn't seen a lot of love. <laughs> you know, like, it's been sleeping for a while yeah, during yeah, COVID, yeah, like most people have been yeah, inside. Exactly. <laughs> and is that quite a common approach for large-scale art or installations? Because I've not, and this is my just lack of knowledge in that space, but I've not heard of that before in that 
one person funds it, then anybody working on it is almost like a shareholder type yeah. vibe. And then you look to recoup the costs afterwards because it's quite a big risk to take. Yeah, it's a huge <laughs> risk. And I think, and that's kind of that make mob model that was like, actually, this is a way to get large scale projects off the ground with minimal seed funding. You know? mm-hmm. um, and and just through also pulling on sort of industry contacts and being resourceful and resilient and, you know, all those sort of values. And I was like, how can we turn this into a, into a model that mm. then could inspire, you know, other people to think big and to, to realize these sort of socially driven projects. Mm. Nice. I like it. I like it. Is there anything else that you feel passionate talking to or would like to share whilst you've got the mic i i just think yeah just follow follow your passions you know just really and believe in it Mm -hmm. also you know there's this sort of line of being too judgmental and self-critical as well and falling on your sword, um, then you need to learn from your mistakes and failures. But you're just gonna keep on making them, you know. <laughs> like you're mm-hmm. like you know you'll evolve and you'll make others. But that's kind of how you learn. So don't let that sort of deter you. And yeah. you know, there's you need to be realistic, but it doesn't necessarily mean need to listen to everything that people tell you. <laughs> you know, I think it's a, a big part of his... Well, sky's the limit, right? Yeah. <laughs> and just believing and having an idea and, you know, educating and evolving. I mean, I'm sort of predominantly... Well, yeah, I am self-taught, which uh, in the sense that I didn't go to university, I joined the circus instead and then um, sort of learnt all... I mean, I'm a certified welder, but, um, and I did fitting and machining at TAFE for precision tool making, but I didn't do the certificate. So I think everything I learned was on a need to know basis. And Mm. I sort of, I guess, chose my mentors and, you know, just YouTube the crap out of stuff, like (laughs) to learn, you know, and, and just kind of trial and error really. Um, is sort of how I sort of learned. And I feel that there's so many amazing people out there that are willing to give their time, you know, that are sort of high top of their tree and they are accessible um, no matter what you're sort of chasing. If you're willing to learn and you're sort of, sort of acting on what they're saying, they actually really rise up to that challenge because, mm. you know, even as crazy what you're proposing is, they can see that your idea's got some merit. They're sort of willing to help. So, yeah, I think don't, don't cut yourself short. Great advice. Great, great, great advice. Amazing. Well, I think we've covered off everything that we were going to chat about. Um, thank you for coming on and providing insights into your wild journey which I feel like is just you do so much it's just crazy and I think you make it sound like it's kind of 
done with ease, but yeah, I'm sure you've, like you say, resilience is very important. <laughs> um, is there any kind of key places or ways in which people can support what you're doing, follow your journey, find out more about things? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram is the main area, which is just Callan, C-A-L-L-A-N. What's that line? Morgan <laughs> underscore. Underscore. <laughs> underscore Morgan. Uh, yeah. And then also, if you're in Melbourne, you can go down and see the Anthropomorphic Machine exhibition at the Science Gallery, the Science Gallery Melbourne, it's called, which is just open and will be up for the next three months. Yeah, exciting. Amazing. Well, like I say, thank you so much for finding the time to come and chat in person and for doing what you're doing because you're obviously very passionate about what you do and bringing lots of people together and creating awesome things and I can't wait to see how things evolve with the Mirror Project and how many places it might go around the world. I'm sure it'll be many. Thanks, Vicky. Amazing. That's a wrap. Ta-da. Ta-da. Thanks for tuning in to Creative Connectors. Hopefully you enjoyed the chat. If so, please subscribe, share with friends, support the community and tune into the next one.